Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Agrita Dandrial, and you're listening to the Mindful of Everything podcast, which calls for revolutionary healing of self and community in order to outgrow our broken culture of radical individualism and disconnection from community, to collectively re-envision a safer, healthier, and equitable world. Today we're joined by Laura Hartley. The urgency that demands at this time, that this time does demand urgency, isn't actually asking us to work faster. It isn't asking us to save something that is separate from us. It's That still feeds into this domination, it still feeds into this separation, it still feeds into this scarcity. What this time is asking of us is really a deeper way to slow down, to change how we work and who we work with, to change our relational basis of how we're approaching the world, of how we're approaching change. Laura is an activist, writer and founder of an online school for changemakers. The school's mission is to empower changemakers across the globe to live their most meaningful lives whilst creating their deepest impact. Programs can be found on healing burnout culture, ethical business and the inner work of dismantling capitalism and supremacy culture. Laura is currently based in Sydney, Australia, but can often be found around the world. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for joining us in this space today. Uh, Thank you, Agrita. I'm really excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me. You know, this topic of internalized capitalism and burnout, it's, it's a massive area in our lives and I think there's so much to unpack, you know, within this space today, and we have such limited time. Um, So before we actually dive into the conversation, I really wanted us to take some time out to take deep breaths before we begin. You know, this is a practice I've just started to do within my podcast. Um, So if that's okay with you, I'd love to take those breaths with you. I'd love to. So if you're sitting down and listening to this podcast, find some time to slow down, focus on the sensations within your body, try not to focus too much on your thoughts, any recurring thoughts you've had throughout the day. Make this space for you. Now, if you're able to, you can gently close your eyes. You can place your hands on your thighs or cup them into your lap. Or you can place your hand on your heart, on your stomach, wherever you're feeling those strong emotions. Now when you're ready, take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in
and a deep breath out. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Deep breath in. And a deep breath out. Now when you're ready, you can slowly open your eyes. I think that is the most relaxing start to a podcast that I have had. Thank you. And I really credit Tiffany for this. Um, I've always realized that obviously for the guests and also for me as a host, there's so much emotions obviously going around before we actually begin the conversation. You know, the nerves of talking about something that's so sensitive and so deep within ourselves. I feel like in order to make this space safe for both of us and for the listeners, it's important to do that. So thank you so much for, you know, resonating with that and allowing us to do that. Thank you. To start off our conversation, because right now, obviously, we've just come out from this peaceful practice. I would love to know if there is a moment in time that you remember or a series of moments that you can recall where you were able to fully acknowledge that your body is suffering burnout and it's it's a chronic condition that you are experiencing and that not only is this burnout a long-term thing perhaps it's generational it is also a system thing that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to bring you on here because you emphasize on that systemic issue of burnout so we would love to know, obviously, your experience and if you can recall a time where you felt that intense feeling of burnout. Mm. Yeah, so you raised a lot of really good points about burnout there. And I, I've definitely experienced burnout myself. I wouldn't say so much that burnout is a chronic condition as much as it is a cyclical condition. You know, it really happens in cycles and this is something that we don't talk about. So I've had... A couple of burnout cycles and probably the, the worst one that comes to mind is about five or six years ago and I'd newly moved back to Australia. I'd been living abroad and so I didn't have a very big support network here. I was in this job that I just had a real values clash with. Um, I had one of those really toxic bosses that expected you to work at like 10 p.m. at night. On top of this, my sister was very unwell uh, she was in the hospital for several months needing an organ transplant and there was a lot of stress and anxiety around that, a lot of long drives to care for her, to see my mother. And I knew that obviously this was an incredibly stressful period in my life. I knew I needed support. And so I did everything that I was supposed to do at this time. I had a regular meditation practice. I went to yoga a few times a week. I lived near the beach, so I went swimming in the ocean regularly. I was dancing. And these things helped, but 
you know, after a few months, I was exhausted. You know, I had this kind of bone deep tiredness that I was carrying with me. My jaw was uh, quite constantly locked. So that's where I carry a lot of my stress and my tension is in my jaw. I was irritable. I was cranky. I'd lost my spark. You know, I was feeling that little bit more apathetic about things that I loved. And I also was carrying a lot of anxiety with me. And so one day I was actually leaving my job and I was still carrying so much, um, so much anxiety and so much tension within me. And I actually had a panic attack. And like anybody listening who's had one of them, you know how awful they are and how like disconnected from your body you become. And so this was like a turning point for me at that point. I was like, okay, something needs to change. And so I went in the next day and I quit my job and you know, I felt a lot better. <laughs> like things really started to turn around. I moved neighborhood. I got a better support network. My sister very thankfully had her operation. A lot of that stress was removed. And I thought that I was done with burnout. I thought that's great. You know, I've done what I needed to do. I got out of that toxic environment. It's fine. But it wasn't too long before I noticed that I was feeling that same kind of way again. You know, I was irritable. I was still working late at night, just this time, not for a toxic boss, this time on projects that I loved because I was like so passionate about the work that I was doing now. I was again losing my my sense of passion for my work and I was becoming a bit more apathetic or resentful to movement spaces that I loved and I cared about. My time with friends and family were feeling burdened or rushed because I was always so conscious of like how much there was to do. And so I recognized that I was heading into one of these burnout cycles again. And this is when I really started to reflect on, well, what is the cause of burnout? You know, how, how does this keep happening? You know, if I leave the job and I do everything again, then, you know, especially this time, their organizations and their movements that I love, what's going to be any different? And this is where we come to like, burnout is not this individual failing. It's not a weakness. It's nothing to do with a lack of resiliency, it's really a system problem. You know, it is a result of the systems that we live in that manifest in us individuals. So those are in particular things like capitalism, patriarchy, the way these cultural beliefs become internalized, and then we live them out. And this leads us to burnout. So this is a little bit of my journey and what's brought me to this point is certainly my own experiences and the experiences of also seeing friends and colleagues and family and, as you say, generations of people struggle with burnout. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And I really like how you picked up on the cyclical problem and not really chronic you you mentioned that there are obviously many systems that can cause burnout. It's not just capitalism, but capitalism is something that you obviously focus on. So we would really love to know how capitalism and the way you internalized it, how did that play out within yourself? You know, what were the signs that your body perhaps gave you that you realized that I have internalized this system of capitalism? You know, because the symptoms of it and um, the way in which we experience it is very different from person to person. So I think people will definitely feel inspired if you were to, you know, give that insight so that we can perhaps look further within ourselves based on that. Yeah. So I think first we need to establish what internalized capitalism actually is. 
internalized capitalism is the equation of our worth with our productivity or what we produce. So capitalism is not just an economic system. You know, it's become something a lot bigger than that. It's actually attached to all of these social ideas of worthiness. Um, it's almost embedded in all of the ways that we actually see and act in the world. Now, capitalism is kind of based on two major principles. And the first of them is the pursuit of infinite growth, um, which really isn't possible, as we all know. And the second is, you know, this condition of scarcity. It has scarcity embedded within it. There's been this lovely illusion throughout time or throughout the last few hundred years that we're going to reach this place with capitalism where, you know, we'll just be so productive and so efficient that actually humans, we don't really need to work very much. You know, we'll turn up two, three days a week, maybe even less, and we'll be fine. All these systems will be automated. And of course, this never happens, you know. And the reason it never happens is because of these two features, the constant need for more, the constant need for growth, and this embedding of scarcity, that there's never enough as we are, that capitalism doesn't know what it is to be satiated. It doesn't know what it is to be satisfied. Now, when we internalize these systems, which is really just an external value system that we look at as society, that we then put onto ourselves as individuals, we start to experience it in a number of different ways. And this is a really good example is feeling guilty when we rest, you know, so that when we have time off, it is not because we deserve it or we desire it. It's because we're exhausted and we have nothing left, you know, or we're resting in order to do more tomorrow. You know, even if you're listening to this podcast right now, how much is there a part of you that feels you need to be doing something else at the same time? Another example, one that I'm quite guilty of, or I certainly have been in the past, is working when I'm sick. Mm. You know, how many of us still feel the need that we can't take days off work? You know, even though we're quite unwell with whether it's uh, our mental health or our anxiety or our stress or something physical. It also shows up with this inner need to overwork. You know, a lot of the time, especially in that second round of burnout that I was starting to experience that I talked about, it wasn't that my overwork was driven by some boss outside of me. It was driven by some need within me to like constantly be doing more. And one of the largest ways it turns up for myself is through this experience of time scarcity. So time scarcity is that feeling that there is never enough time, you know, that we're running out. And you hear this in our language all the time. You know, there's not enough hours in the day. I can't fit it all in. I'm crazy busy. You hear it in workshops or in, I'm sure you've been in a room. I'm guilty of this myself, of saying things like, we've got a lot to fit in today. We're just going to like squeeze it all in, you know, just pack a little bit more in. So like stay with us. All of this is this embodiment of time scarcity. Now, when I am in this state, which I will be honest, is very, very easy for me to go into. I really notice how pressured my body feels. You know, that experience of time scarcity, that experience of internalized capitalism isn't just happening in my mind. That is certainly where it's embedded and where it's living out from, but it's also having an effect on my body. And that effect on my body is this feeling of being rushed, of being tense, of being really closed in. So like usually like my shoulders hunch up, my jaw locks in, like it's preparing itself for danger. It's preparing itself to to block and to defend and to protect itself. And it makes sense because these stories of scarcity, 
you know, have embedded within them stories of danger, stories of threat, and our nervous systems are reacting to that. So internalized capitalism does show up a little differently for everyone. But these main signs of feeling like we need to be doing more, that never enoughness is probably the most ubiquitous across our society. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you. And, you know, the way you said how a lot of the times we can experience this sort of closing in on ourselves is as if the systems are working to not only mechanize humans and their experience of living, but also just like compartmentalize us and to make sure that we don't expand, that we don't take up the space that we need to. The population, the human population is obviously increasing and I'm pretty sure it's going to keep on increasing. And based on that, I feel like the standard of living and the way in which we're told to live, you know, smaller houses, fit into the compact sort of spaces on a train, you know, rush hour and all of that. It's just like, yes, you don't have that space. You don't have that time, first of all, but you're not being granted that space either. So yeah, I just really, really liked how you picked up on that. And I definitely think that's something that we can look within ourselves deeper. You know, it's not only our bodies that are telling us that we are so compact right now. We are so constrained. It's just, it's just everything about our being is just being restricted in a really unhealthy way. Yeah. I think the interesting thing is though, like, in a sense, we do this to ourselves, not individually, but collectively. Like the systems are not, they they don't just exist outside of us. Mm. You know, it's not just this one big powerful person somewhere who's dominated this system. They exist within us and as us. They are created by humans. We continue to uphold them as humans. So it's a really interesting dynamic, the ways that we kind of constrain ourselves, that we control ourselves the same kind of domination that we have of the natural world, we, we apply to ourselves as well. Yeah, that's, that's really, really eye-opening as well to realise that everything that we've done to control the world and the way it functions and to make sure that it is synchronous to our lifestyle right now, those same sorts of principles that we've applied to the natural world is come back on us. And the people who haven't chosen this lifestyle and this way of being, they are facing the consequences the most. Whether it's people who are highly aware of their surroundings and just yeah. how much they've evolved as people to people who are in regions that are considered developing, you know, who are staying as close to being human as they can and yet they're facing the consequences of this. It's disheartening, you know. This is the injustice of capitalism and the injustice of the climate crisis is that it doesn't affect everybody equally. Yeah. You know, eventually, yes, everyone will be impacted. But the reality is the people who we see most affected by these systems are the people who have very often most resisted them in certain circles, whether that's Indigenous communities. Yeah. And groups that have really fought back against them, or you know, countries that just disproportionately suffer the effects of them already, that disproportionately are in poverty because of capitalism, because of colonization. It's a very unjust system. So it's really important that we start to look at all the ways that we have internalized it if we're going to break down that unjustness or that injustice that we're experiencing or facing. Yeah. And like you said, these systems have been created by humans. It's not just like powerful vigor that controls everything. 
these are human made. And so if we've made these systems, then we also have the power to dismantle them and to reimagine them. And this is where I look towards indigenous communities because their understanding of leadership and their understanding of power, the sort of framework that they apply, is redistributing power. You will have certain, I would say, individuals who hold more power than others, and there will be hierarchies to a certain extent. But in the end, everyone is sort of brought to the table to talk about these things. And this is one reason why I really love this podcast, because I get to have so many different sort of perspectives brought to me in this space and brought to the listeners in this space. But yeah, I'd just love to know your sort of thoughts on that. You know, how can we start to re-empower ourselves? Obviously, this is a system problem and we can't obviously do it by ourselves. Individual bodies are not able to do that. But how do we begin to re-empower ourselves to actually challenge this within our own lives? So how can we start to individualize our work towards disempowering those systems and then hopefully spread it into community? Yeah, that's an excellent question, you know, and I actually, I think there is so much that we can do as individuals. I think sometimes we we give away our power as individuals. We're quite afraid of power a lot of the time. Yeah, I think that's the word power is so often associated with, you know, greed or domination or power over or power under, you know, that's not quite the same thing as an embodiment of power or empowerment. And so when we actually are able to really own the idea that perhaps we have way more power as individuals than we ever thought we might, there is a lot more possibility for us to begin this work. So the work of really dismantling this idea of capitalism and this experience of capitalism within us is something that we can start with first within our bodies. You know, first, we're actually just creating that experience of safety, creating that experience of security and calm and and care for our bodies. You know, these experiences are not just neck up. We live very, very neck up in our society. It's this complete disconnection from the natural world. It's this complete disconnection from our natural body. So when we can reconnect to that first and create this experience of safety, we're then able to listen to it and listen to the wisdom that it has. Now, one of the things that I love to work with is this idea of seasons and cycles. You know, in capitalism and in the world as we see it and how we view it, we very often see life or we see work as this very long, straight, linear line. Maybe there's like a little upwards inclination. You know, it's this idea of infinite growth that we're just going to always be going up or our life is, you know, we're born and then we die and there's just kind of this line in the middle broken up by occasional significant events. And of course, when we start to view the world this way, we view work this way, we start to extract from ourselves. So we extract what I call our inner resources. So our energy, our attention, our motivation, our compassion, you know, these are resources that we carry and they're renewable, but they are also exhaustible. And that's ultimately what burnout is, is we have exhausted these resources, borrowing from tomorrow and never allowing them to renew. And so when we can start to to reconnect to our body, we also start to realize that there are cycles and everything in the natural world exists in cycles. You know, the seasons, the moon, the tides, our digestion, our sleep, our circadian rhythms, everything about our hormones is happening in this rhythm. And yet somehow we, we don't think we should work within that rhythm. We just expect, you know, our attention and our energy to always be on at the same level. And particularly for women, 
you know, a lot of us, if we've clued into our own monthly cycles, we're often very aware that there are times when we have more energy than others. So this kind of beginning work of returning to the body, creating that sense of safety so that we can actually have the space to listen to it, so that we can hear what it is asking of us, what it needs in terms of its energy levels, in terms of its desires, in terms of what's going to give it that, that energy or that life back, we can start to follow its rhythms. We can start to follow its cycles and we can start to work in a different way. So that we're moving out of this linear line of capitalism. We're moving out of this constant extraction of our energy, always assuming that we should be on and working and outputting no matter what is happening, no matter what time of year it is into something that's more regenerative and into something that is more natural. And this is work we can all do. You know, it's challenging because a lot of us, when we start to think about honoring our body and following its cycles and, you know, working in a way or living in a way that kind of mimics that, we're like, wow, yeah, okay. The world is like not set up for that. It does like not support me to do that. And that is true to a large extent. But I also think, you know, we are the culture changes that we need. You know, we are the ones who have to start this. We are the ones who need to start having these conversations with our friends, with our families, with our colleagues. And you're saying, hey, what would it be like if we started to reimagine the way that we work? Hey, what is it that your body actually needs right now? You know, my body deeply needs rest or my body needs pleasure and my body needs, you know, time in nature to rejuvenate itself. What does yours need? How can we take time this week to do that? There are a whole bunch of creative ways that we can start to implement this. But ultimately, this first step of returning to what is true for us and what is real and what we're experiencing is the kind of gateway in. Thank you so much. You know, you've given us so much wisdom just within that question that I asked you. You talk about not extracting your inner resources, which I think is such a powerful term. And I think in our efforts, in our collective efforts to do that, to make sure that we're not so extractive within ourselves, I feel like a lot of the practices that we are undertaking, they are extractive. Um, you know, you can look at mindfulness practices and meditation or breathing exercises, yoga, so many different types. But a lot of the time, the way in which they are presented and the way in which they are reenacted by individuals, it is extractive. And it's something that I was not consciously aware of until I, you know, saw your website and I saw a blog where you mentioned this. And I was like, oh, wait. Maybe maybe the way in which I was trying these practices, it was just in a way that was replicating some of the capitalistic practices that we are so used to uh, embodying. So what does it mean to you to make sure that these practices are not extractive and how can we critically analyse those? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I, I really talk about a lot when I'm talking about burnout is that it's not so much what we do, it is how we do it. Yeah. And that coming back to the intention with which we approach things is really important. And I love what you're talking about here because, you know, there has been this boom in meditation and mindfulness classes over the last five, 10 years. You see them in corporates, you see them online, everywhere. But it hasn't just been because it's good for our health or it's good for our well-being. It really has been attached to this idea of increased productivity. Mm. You know, that 
you know, mindfulness can help you work even faster. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, do you know multitasking, you're actually slower. You're actually going to get less done. If you can like learn to focus, you're going to get even more done and you'll have all of those things off your magical to-do list, you know, and it just doesn't work that way. That is still this, this idea behind it is that we need to be better. We need to be faster. We need to be doing more. We need to be producing. It is still embedded within capitalism. And I think, you know, capitalism has this incredible ability to consume movements that try to challenge it. You know, so any, there's a lot of feminist movements, a lot of spiritual movements that have had roots that were deeply post-capitalist, anti-capitalist, that have a little bit like meditation and mindfulness now, being consumed by capitalism. So I think coming back to when we're looking to use these modalities, which are incredibly powerful modalities. You know, I am a regular meditator myself. I do breath work. I see the value in them. They're incredibly powerful. But why are we doing them? Are we doing them to deepen our connection to ourselves? Are we doing them to create safety, to create a connection with our body? Are we doing them to feel good? Or are we doing them to do more, you know, so that we can just tick another thing off of our to-do list? So it's that understanding, why am I doing this? You know, where am I hoping to to get more out of myself by doing this? And this is where that common resilience model or that common approach to burnout is off because it tells us if we just meditate, if we just practice gratitude, if we just, you know, go to yoga or get out for a walk, we'll have enough energy to just keep doing exactly what we're doing. And that's the energy there that needs to shift. Yes, definitely. You know, I've seen so many meditation practice online and they say things like, you know, if you just meditate for like half an hour, then you don't need to have a power nap or, you know, you don't have to do any of that because you've calmed your mind down. You've allowed it to relax. When you're sleeping, you don't get that sort of relaxation within the mind because the mind is like dreaming or doing something. So it's like they've negated, you know, our sort of restful periods in our life and said, well, why don't you do something productive? Why don't you do this? It's almost as if they are labeling something as rest when in fact it's just work. Yes. And that in it, yeah, that in itself is, is really toxic. Well, this is the thing, like when we're looking at rest, we're very often, we're just using rest in order to do more later or rest now because like our body is demanding that we rest and we have no choice. You know, there is a lot of kind of toxicity to this idea. And instead, we need to understand there are many different types of rest. You know, there is physical rest, there is mental rest, there is emotional rest, there is spiritual rest. And they don't all look the same. And our body needs different ones at different times. But we only know this when we're clued into what our body is actually asking for. You know, and with these practices of of meditation and mindfulness. These are practices that were rooted in a very deep spirituality that were very much rooted in how do we know ourselves? How do we know something larger than ourselves? And they weren't created or designed or used traditionally in order for us to produce more. They, they're stillness practices for a reason, you know, to create stillness. Yeah, definitely. You know, we've both been part of the environmental movement. And I feel like this is so applicable to that because it, again, is a movement which has, it's confusing, you know, because this movement is obviously challenging these systems that are destroying our natural world, but at the same time is replicating some of these practices that we're talking about. 
it within capitalism. So I think it would be great if you could share some experiences, you know, of you being part of that movement and how you've started challenging that or you have challenged that within yourself or within your communities. Yeah. Yeah, excellent question. Um, so yeah, I have been involved with environmental activism for a number of years in different movements, different organisations and different forms. And, you know, there's so much of understanding that if we want to make change, we really need to look at the way we are trying to make change. Sometimes some of the philosophies that go into making change have very capitalistic roots. You know, this idea that if we just work harder, if we just get more people to join our movement. So I think it's Adrienne Marie Brown has a beautiful line of uh, looking for critical depth over critical mass. You know, that so often we're looking for numbers, but really what we're needing is this depth of relationship. And so sometimes in movement spaces or in organizations or nonprofits, this work, which is really deeply important work, can become very transactional, very surface level. And we start to form our belonging based on what we do and not who we are. So our sense of being in this group is not my, my ability to show up and my contribution and my being here as a person and what I have to share at this moment, which will be different at different times of year or day or week. It's based on, have I done this? Have I completed this? Or what actions have this been a part of? So this really transactional approach. In addition, within environmental spheres in particular, there is, you know, there's a very common story of needing to save the world. <laughs> and, yeah, and we all know this story. And, you know, I get why it's there because any of us who are, you know, aware of the crises that we face, we're like, well, yes, this is a seriously urgent time. It is filled with tragedy. There are worse things that are possible to come. We need to act now. There is this sense of um, deep importance to our work. But the story of, of needing to save the world also has this corresponding response in our nervous systems. It has this response of danger. It has this response of threat. It keeps us stuck in this overwhelm, in this fear you know, in this um, always being on guard for something that is about to happen. And of course, when we're in this space, we're not our most creative. We're not our most joyful. We have more conflict because we're all kind of on edge and working towards something. And the story also isn't entirely true. You know, there's a quote by, I believe his name is Bayo Akomalafe. He's a Nigerian writer and he's brilliant. And he says that these times are urgent, we must slow down. You know, that the urgency that demands of this time, that this time does demand urgency, isn't actually asking us to work faster. It isn't asking us to save something that is separate from us. It's That still feeds into this domination. It still feeds into this separation. It still feeds into this scarcity. What this time is asking of us is really a deeper way to slow down, to change how we work and who we work with, to change our relational basis of how we're approaching the world, of how we're approaching change. So, you know, there's so much I could talk about in this space, but I think this idea of coming back to how are we doing the work, not just what work are we doing, not just what numbers, what measures, what targets, you know, the metrics that we're measuring, but 
the qualitative, the relational work that is a lot harder to measure, that is a lot harder to quantify, of who are we being with one another? What is our relationship to the earth and why we're doing what we're doing? Am I trying to save it? Is that me trying to save it still disconnecting me from it? And is it perpetuating, again, this stress that I'm constantly experiencing? And what is this time demand of me? You know, does urgency mean that I need to work faster or does it mean I need to slow down and I need to pause? So these are some of the stories that I think really could benefit from. Wow. I just feel so energized with what you've said. Um, Yeah, I think it's just this whole working with rather than working for or working over. Learning how to balance that and learning how to live harmoniously with each other, with this earth, I think is just, it should be at the core of any sort of movement that we are part of. A movement that is working towards not only reimagining but also recreating, you know, or restoring, I would say. We don't need to create, we need to restore, you know, restoring that world that we once had. So yeah, I think taking this relational work, grounding that within any sort of work that we do, centering that is really, really important. So thank you for picking up on that. I feel really, really happy to be hearing that from you because a lot of the time especially within the scientific community, you do feel that sense of loneliness when you want to be approaching these things through an emotional sort of approach or something that is not just limited to data or the metrics, as you mentioned. And I feel like we are getting that shift now. People are starting to value that emotion over how can we save the planet so that we can sustain our population or the human uh, species. And I'm happy that that shift is happening in this time. And it's happening because we are realizing that working at these fast paces and within these small spaces is, is not productive and is not what the human species is made for. It's not what any species is made for. And I'm a big believer that sometimes we, you know, we try so hard to change the systems on the outside, you know, to change policy, to change government. And these are, of course, really important, necessary things that need to happen. But ultimately, that shift that we really want to see will not come from outside of us. It will only come when enough of us have actually changed our participation in the world, have changed internally the way we see the world, the way we interact in the world, the way that we approach it. Because again, all of these systems, they're born out of us. We are the ones that perpetuate them. So until we do this work of unraveling ourselves from them, of returning to something that is much more natural, much more embodied, has a much deeper emotional and relational intelligence and quality to it, then we're not going to end climate change. We're not going to uh, end the biodiversity loss that is happening around the world because we're still going to be acting and perpetuating these systems that just measure growth, that just measure destruction, that just measure this thing that is separate to us. So it's this relational work of coming back. And that is hard because that is, you know, that's not the way our society is built. There's it's not the way most of us don't have deep spiritual communities anymore that we're a part of. There are not many places we can go to to learn this work and to gather together and to explore this work. And I think if we are struggling to find those spaces, then we can find that space within ourselves. 
within our inner wisdom. You know, that wisdom that really reminds us that if we once lived like that, then we can live like that again. It may look different because I'm going to admit, I don't think we will suddenly, you know, go back to the forest and live in small little huts or something that is impractical <laughs> in this day. But I don't think we really want to either. There's a couple of us that want to live like off-grid yeah, no. and like, do the whole thing. But like most yeah. of us, you know, we like, you know, a lot of us like living in cities. We like our communities. We like actually having a work that brings us meaning and purpose. You know, there's a lot of benefits to the way that we do currently live. It's really just the way that we're working and the way that we're approaching life. The constant need to to produce more and the constant feeling that we are never enough and there never is enough. And both of those feelings are completely reflected within capitalism. So I really believe like if you change that system, we can all have these lives of thriving. We can have flourishing lives. We have an incredible capacity for imagination as a species. Like we are a genius species. You know, we have gone to the moon. That is an incredible feat that we do not actually acknowledge enough just how surreal that is. So if, if we create the conditions, if we create the conditions for thriving, I think we can each find our own way. You know, it won't look like it used to, but there is perhaps an even more beautiful way forward. Yeah. I would love to, I mean, there's so much obviously to talk about and I feel like we can keep on going because this, this just... Yeah, I just feel like it's a very expansive sort of topic and it can take shape in so many different ways. But in a way to sort of wrap up the episode, I think it would be great for the audience and also for me to know how you are putting, you know, your inner wisdom and just your personal experiences and professional as well into practice for your school for change makers. Like you said, it's very difficult for us to find those spaces where we can feel safe, where we can slow down. And I feel like this school that you've provided for the students is that space. So if you could give some insight into that, you know, what can students prepare for to explore deeper with you? I think that'll be a great way to end this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh. So my work is born out of two passions and one question, and that is how do we create a more beautiful life in the world? So that is the personal life that we experience and a more beautiful world that we all live in. And, you know, the first of those passions is that I'm really passionate about outer change, about actually creating a real tangible change in the world. That is important. It is not enough to just sit and meditate in a cave. It's not enough to just do this work ourselves. We need to be working with others. And it's also born out of a real love and passion around personal development and around spirituality, around these questions of what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be alive at a time like this? How do we create meaning? And so these two questions really formed the birth of my school, which is a school for change makers and activists. Now, we have programs around resilience and healing burnout, which really takes a systems approach and this community approach to the work that we need to do. There's programs coming up around ethical business or what business beyond capitalism might look like. I think business has this, it's got a huge potential to change the world, you know, but we do, business is not capitalism, money is not capitalism, and we need to separate out capitalism and its effects from the way that we work. There's programs. Programs also coming up around anger and how we work with our emotions, these things that come up 
uh, within us as change makers because it's not easy to sit with these feelings. It's not easy to sit with anxiety for for the climate. It's not easy to sit with the anger and the rage we feel at the injustice that occurs. So all of these programs are ultimately about coming together in community, about finding like-minded people around the world and beginning to create the conditions through us and as us for social healing and collective thriving. So beginning to reimagine the world, reimagine it as something more beautiful. And not we're not, not acknowledging the pain that exists. We do, we work with that a lot, but really also allowing this good in, allowing this feeling in that the future could actually be more beautiful than we imagined. So uh, if anybody does want to check out the school, my website is laurahartley.com or you can follow me on Instagram, laura.h.hartley. Thank you so much, Laura, for everything you've gifted us today in this space. Truly, truly grateful. I think just labeling or naming this, I would say, trauma of internalized capitalism and being within these burnout cycles that pop up within our life constantly, I think it's it's the biggest thing we can do and it's the first step towards healing in a way that is holistic and it's collective so thank you so much for giving us you know your tips and your insight into this your personal experiences how to embody these practices of slowing down of abundance so that we can disembody capitalism within us and our communities thank you again for having me i absolutely love your show and i have loved this conversation and thank you to everybody who's listened in today as well Thank you for listening to the Mindful of Everything podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please support the podcast by giving a rating on whichever podcast platform you use and share the podcast within your community to extend listenership to those who will also connect to the content. Visit mindfuloveverything.com to access Laura's website and episode resources.